Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. From the Carlson Center in Fairbanks, I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Mining, logging, natural gas development, and drilling for oil. The conversation about developing Alaska's natural resources is not new. The state is well known for its wealth of resources, but the debate over how to develop those resources in a state where climate change is wreaking havoc on infrastructure and a traditional way of life is heating up. Some people see development as a way to create more employment opportunities and stronger state and local economies. Others fear irreparable damage to the land, water, and animal populations that have sustained Alaska Native people in the far north for thousands of years. Join us as we talk with people on all sides right after the news. Reporting from the 2019 Alaska Federation of Natives Convention in Fairbanks, Alaska, I'm Trip Kraus. At the annual convention, Governor Mike Dunleavy announced he's proposing legislation that recognizes tribal authority over education in their communities. KYUK's Christy Schellenberger learns about what the tribal compact means for the state. Sandra Kowalski, a Nupiak from Kotzebue, sits on the Alaska State Board of Education. And she says this announcement is just the first step. The state of Alaska and, the, and tribal entities need to kind of create the framework around the master agreement the financial mechanisms, all those other component pieces that make up in, in total a tribal compact. And not that's not been developed yet, and that's part of the, the next step is to engage and provide feedback as we have these dialogues and um, discussions across the state. But first, what is a compact? It's a formal agreement between governments that defines what role each one plays to provide services. In this case, the state of Alaska and tribal governments will together craft a framework that supports the kind of education that tribes want to have. It can involve a lot of language and culture, um, activities with elders in the community, and um, really helping our children form an identity that's around their community and where they come from that's strong and positive. Dunleavy says he intends to introduce legislation in the upcoming session to help craft that framework. Alaska House Representative Tiffany Zolkuski, a Bethel Democrat, says she's ready to work with Dunleavy, but she urges him to give tribes the resources they need. I think it's awesome and a step in the right direction to talk about expanding the role of tribal compacting within the state of Alaska, but I think it's really important that it's not just cost-shifting and it's not just putting the burden of providing state services onto communities or tribes. Tribes have expressed frustration with the Dunleavy administration over his budget proposals. One example came during his speech Thursday at AFN. Protesters interrupted with drumming and dozens stood up and turned their backs to him, a single fist held high. Some held recall Dunleavy signs. At the AFN convention two years ago, then-Governor Bill Walker and his administration signed a first-of-its-kind agreement. It's called the Alaska Tribal Child Welfare Compact, and it gives tribes more control over their children. The Walker administration prioritized consulting with tribes. Zolkuski says she hopes that Dunleavy understands how important funding the compacts are. It's imperative that the state provide the resources to accompany these compacts that will make tribes successful because ultimately it will benefit the state of Alaska and the state of Alaska will ultimately be successful. Reporting from the AFN Convention in Fairbanks, I'm Christy Schallenberger. 
Much of the convention's second day was looking at the importance of social and political issues. Cook Inlet Region Incorporated took a strong pro-recall effort when Sophie Minich took the stage before the AFN delegation. The Siri president and CEO said the corporation watched the early days of Dunleavy's administration with hopeful optimism, but that optimism soured during the budget process when the Alaska governor vetoed state funding for several programs. Siri decided that the damage that this governor's illegal actions would inflict on our state and on our people, on our businesses, was too much to bear, and it was our responsibility. It was our duty, our duty to take a stand, to oppose his actions, and to support his removal from office. The U.S. Census Bureau director gave a brief overview of the 2020 U.S. Census, which gets its start in Tuxic Bay in January. Stephen Dillingham met with some reporters after the address to talk about some key questions Alaska residents have about the census count. But our people are trained really to ask the correct questions and to collect the data and make sure that uh, everyone is counted. Special thanks to KYUK's Christy Schellenberger and Greg Kim, freelance reporter Emily Schwing, and Wesley Early from KOTZ. In Fairbanks, I'm Trip Krause. The AFN Newscast, produced by KNBA and Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation. Funding by Arctic Slope Regional Corporation, Rasmussen Foundation, ConocoPhillips, the Siri Foundation, ExxonMobil Alaska, South Central Foundation, Manilik Association, Chalista Corporation, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Cook Inlet Lending Center, and Foundation Health Partners. This is a production of KNBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice from the Carlson Center in Fairbanks. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Development and protecting the environment. It's an issue discussed every year at the Alaska Federation of Natives annual convention. Delegates Saturday will consider about a half dozen resolutions on land, energy, and natural resources. Conversations often revolve around creating jobs, moving toward ener energy independence, and boosting economies while others vow to fight projects which they say threaten the land, animals, and their way of life. And joining me today is Esau Sanuk, Peter Yvonne, and PJ Simon. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'll just uh, 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 please introduce yourself. Yes, my name is PJ Simon. I'm from Alakakit, tribal member. So I'm a, social, I'm a plumber and uh, hunting guide. And also, I'm involved in uh, Doyon Limited as a board of director. All right, thank you for being here. And um, Peter? And my name is Peter Yvonne. I am the executive director for Lewis Alamuk Native Council. That's the um, tribal entity in Bethel, Alaska. I'm originally from Akachuk, Alaska, which is a village um, about 20 miles upriver. And I'm a tribe member of that, uh, tribe member of that uh, entity. So. And uh, Isa? Hi, good morning. My name is Isa Sunak. I'm from Shishmaraf, Alaska. And I'm from. I go to school at University of Alaska Fairbanks, studying Alaska Native Studies, focusing law, government, and politics. Um, and yeah, I'm a water protector, earth guardian, and uh, uh, tribal member. Well, thank you all for being here today. And um, PJ, let's start with you. Tell me a little bit about some of the projects and some of your thoughts on development. Well, I think development is good in a lot of ways, but it's also bad in some different ways. You know, resource extraction. Extraction is, well, 
let's start with economy. Definition of economy is taking a natural natural resources and turning it into a manufactured good. That's the definition of economy. But also, like everybody's enjoying their coffee th this morning, that's a liquid solid extraction. They're extracting the caffeine from the coffee bean. So that's diff many types of extractions. It's just, well, how, how do we do extraction? You know, it, to us it's good because my dad grew up working up in the Arctic Slope had a second grade education. He started at the Hog River Gold Mine. My grandfather worked there, my dad worked there. And then he moved up to the Arctic Slope and created a good living for us. Besides trapping, renewable resources, that's another, that's another level of uh, resource extraction, I suppose. But it's been good and I understand there's a lot happening, climate change, a lot of the world's changing, human population growth, you name it, you know. How do, we, how do we address that as Alaska Native people? When my people, for my people, 70, 80 years ago, we didn't have a bar of soap. Second grade education. Now we live in a fast-paced world. You know, you look at Alaska Federation of Natives. It probably didn't exist 60, 70 years ago. But it brings our people. It gives our strength if we all work together and understand. Knowledge will dispel fear. So, you know, it's one of the things that we happen to do is we're pro-development in some ways, in some, some areas we don't touch. We have the triple bottom line, healthy economy, healthy people, and healthy environment. And uh, Peter, your thoughts? Well, um, I would definitely agree with many of uh, Esau's points. Um, our region obviously is, um, has the prospect of having that Donald Gold Mine, and I um, believe that was the process was started from the Jalista conversation I've had was 1995. And I can definitely see both sides of the coin, but um, for our tribe and for our region, there has been a major shift in, in the perspective of, of actually opposing um, any kind of further development of the mine. And um, I, I can understand the economy portion. I would say that's highly important. We do live in the most economically disadvantaged uh, region in the whole country, as well as the highest cost of living in the whole country. And so we do need to take that into consideration. But then when you think about um, the five years of construction, I believe, and the 27 years of operation, that is a blip when you consider that, um, that word perpetuity and us having to take care of that for the rest of my children, my grandchildren, all of the above. And it's just, in my opinion, and in the opinion of my council and, and a lot of people in the region now, it's just not worth the risk. Um, but obviously, the other question that comes up is, what, well, what are you going to do to replace that? Or where, where is that revenue going to come from? And it has to be a multifaceted approach. You have to look at, look at renewable energy, renewable resources, basically hydro, uh, the um, wind, solar, obviously, those are all options. And they've been, they've been working in other areas. Igag is a great uh, example of, of hydro. We have um, Kuyungluk, one of our one of villages in our region, who does um, uh, windmills. And they've, they've really um, lowered the cost of living for their people doing those, those type of projects. And I think that... Um, Basically, looking at it in, in that approach, with that kind of approach, is going to be what's going to be um, needed. Because um, back in those days, in 1990s, there were limited options. I can understand that. But now, with the advancement of, as they say, mining, there's an advancement of other areas as well that we can take advantage of. As Esau said, it's a fast-paced world now, and uh, the younger generation kind of needs to come up and take advantage of those kind of things. So. And uh, this is PJ. Oh, I'm sorry, PJ. This is Esau. <laughs> this is Esau. I apologize. Yeah. No, I apologize. that's okay. That's, that's okay. I, I, I mess up people's <laughs> okay. names, too. So. Okay. <laughs> and Esau, as being a water protector and also a student and going to school and learning and getting that education. Um, what are your thoughts on balancing? You know, um, growing up hunting and fishing and gathering and, and living off the land and the sea, you know, hunting for, um, for our seals, 
and for our walrus and for our caribou and our moose on the mainland, you know, um, having that uh, spiritual connection with the, the spirits and the animals and the land around you and going to academia, um, you know, was a huge transition for me. You know, I had to switch one brain off to turn on another. You know, I'm living in two worlds, you know, um, that, um, you know, I'd rather, to be honest, go out hunting and fishing right now than be at AFN, you know, where we're supposed to, you know, we, we talk about climate change, we talk about protecting our, our uh, protecting the sacred, defending the sacred, you know, doing all these things in the movement but we shouldn't be talking about it we shouldn't even be fighting for it because you know we should already have those rights we should already be able to live in a healthy strong uh community um where we're coming from you know as indigenous people on turtle island um you know we have the the right to our hunting and fishing but also our, the, our animals that we used to communicate with you know in inupiaq uh we used to be able to talk to them in inupiaq and now with uh, Western settlers coming in uh, over uh, the time span of a few centuries, you know, we lost that connection. So how can we bring that back? How can we um, also work with uh, people that um, don't tend to agree with our, uh, our movement, but also, you know, having that mindset where, you know, we have to, re we should replace this one resource with another. So, you know, it's, uh, multi-faceted situation. Uh, it's a lot of underlying uh, problems and solutions to come up with for the next uh, few decades here in the state of Alaska. And uh, PJ, do Alaska Native people have the responsibility to help elevate more responsible development and how do you see that if so? Well as Alaska Native people, first of all I want our, I want our people to be healthy, strong and uh, you know, like I said earlier, 50, 60, 70 years ago, life was tough. And like my father, he had a second grade education. He went on to retire from the 302 Operators Union, provided a good level, a, a comfortable life for me, my brother, and my sister, you know, to give us a, a, a chance for a solid education, an opportunity. So with that, it's, well, I think, uh, keeping Alaska Native people healthy. And there's, you go into a restaurant, you have a menu, and you, you look at AFN here, you got beautiful Alaska Native people dancing and showcasing their culture. But when you go in a restaurant, you open a menu, there's a lot of different, that's Alaska Native people right there. You know, we're, we're all different, but we all, we're all working together here at AFN. That's, that's the big takeaway I get. It's, you know, like the Earth Protectors, defend the sacred you know well look at doyon drilling for example let's just say a drill rig in the arctic slope the erd rig the rig 26 the la largest land rig in north america we can drill 7.2 miles in each direction we can go 6.6 .6 miles down so that's 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 miles and miles less of disturbing drilling for oil in the in the north slope so that's how we're working, cutting edge technology, you know, triple bottom line. As a board, as a people, we look to save our environment, but yet find the ways we can help our Alaska Native people. And Peter, as, as leaders, how can leaders um, talk about and get that conversation about responsible development? 
Um, well, obviously getting the word out is the biggest, um, the largest step is getting the information. Um, in our region, obviously, Donlin has been uh, contributing to in many different areas, financially to different villages, while they're basically supplying information. But now, um, basically, with more people on board, uh, groups like Salmon State and those kind of groups that have worked in other areas of the state and have been successful um, have come on board and are uh, basically helping us, uh, helping us show the way of how we can get the information out. Obviously, Facebook and social media has been a huge step forward, and we have, we have used those platforms to get the word out, but also um, speaking to the tribal leaders in each village uh, directly and being able to uh, share information and share um, basically the other options that are out there that are possibilities. And so when you talk about responsible development, I believe that you know it can't be a one-step approach. And like I said earlier, um, previously I totally understand their, um, their way of thinking back when it initially was um, on, the, on the table. But um, along with that now, you know, almost in 2020, we have so many more options, so many more um, examples of things that have worked in other areas of the state and the country that I think we can't just throw our hands up and say that this is our only option, low-hanging fruit. We need to basically look at things. And it might not, it's not going to be easy, obviously, just like the long process it was for to get this mind to where it is now. But um, it's, it's fully appropriate, and I think it is our job to take those steps and look at those opportunities um, because my kids and my grandkids are going to be relying on what decisions we make today is what they're going to have to live with in the future. And that river and that land within our Waikiki region is what we're here to protect. And Esau, is there an area that you say for yourself or for the movement you're talking about, that sea that's 100% off limits? Um, can you rephrase that again? Yep, just, just is there any area that's off limits for development? You know, with uh, uh, Defend the Sacred, Protect the Arctic, um, you know, with these other movements I'm a part of, you know, we, we, we are in protection of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, you know, where over 140,000 uh, caribou from the porcupine caribou herd uh, goes to calf every year. And, you know, where the Gwich'in uh, people rely on, you know, their Fadzai, their, their caribou, you know. Um, I'm not Gwich'in, but I'm an ally to the movement, you know, because I'm an Alaska Native person. I, I know where they're coming from, and I know the passion and the emotions that they're feeling for protecting something so sacred, you know, because only women can give birth. And if you give, and if you give up the place where they give birth, you know, that, that means future generations of, of caribou won't uh, be available. And the, 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 the food for the Gwich'in people won't be there, you know. It all comes, you know, we're all part of the circle, circle of life. And when, once you uh, destroy something so beautiful, you know, it really messes up everything. So, you know, the protecting the Arctic, defending the sacred, you know, was it's been fighting the good fight since, you know, the, the mid 19th, the 20th century, you know, with Sarah James, um, uh, really renowned elder, Gwich'in elder, um, and a lot of other people like Bernadette Dementif, who's the, who's the executive director for Gwich'in Steering Committee. You know, we've been uh, partnering with them. You know, I'm part of Native Movement, so we've been uh, working with Gwich'in Steering Committee and all of other organizations on how can we defend the sacred, protect the Arctic. And I'm wondering about the grassroots movement versus 
you know, the, there's a lot of different ways that people are working on the issues. You have the tribal leaders, you have native organizations, you have the big, you know, huge convention here, and then you have the grassroots movement. Um, do you see that there's, what kind of progress is being made from grassroots people? You know, I truly think that the, the actual work that, that gets done in our communities is from the community. You know, we don't travel to places like the Arctic Circle Assembly, United Nations Forum on the Environment. Um, you know, we don't travel to conferences or parties because, you know, it's good to have voices at the table, but how can we just remove the damn table? How can we just have everyone involved? How can we, can, how can we all just be inclusive already instead of asking for, for a seat? as we are tribal nations, you know, 100% sovereign nations here in Alaska. So, you know, to me at least, I think the true work comes from, you know, community organizing, grassroots organizing, and a lot of the work is in the community. It, it, you know, it's good to have voices here at like Alaska Federation of Natives, but when, when they, uh, when the agenda is solely based around resource development, extraction, um, and continuation of the settler colonialism uh, mindset that we need to make money in order to survive and thrive. But how can we change surviving to thriving without coming to Alaska Federation of Natives? How can we do all this work, but in a better way, you know, in a safer environmental way that protects our our caribou, our moose, our seals, our walrus, uh, and Mother Earth and Turtle Island, you know, um, as indigenous people, we have a responsibility to, to protect our lands because, you know, the land gives so much to us because we've been living there for time in, immemorial. So the utmost respect is to the land and to the animals because we don't think ourselves higher as the animals. We think ourselves with the animals because, you know, they give themselves to us and, and, and so that our families can survive. So, you know, the, the groundwork, the actual work that gets done to me, I think comes from the community level. And I wanna get PJ and Peter's take on this too, um, of all different, the grassroots level to the tribal leaders and the native organizations all working together. Um, PJ, go ahead. Yes, I think uh, uh, like Alakakit tribal member, we go, through our Alakakit Tribal Council, our elected leaders, or the Tenant Chiefs Conference, you go to our regional tribal leaders, or Doi Unlimited, our mother corporation, we go through our elected leaders of Doi Unlimited to try to make the best decision you can for 20,000 shareholders. With respect to each and every shareholder, Alaska Native, you know, how do we move forward? It's that collective voice, Antonia, and that's what we do. I keep mentioning the triple bottom line healthy ecosystem, healthy people, you know, and different ways of doing things. Like I said, you know, our corporation, you know, we look at different ways to be nice to the environment. You know, remediation, that's what we think about with the people, the collective voice of the people. How do we move forward in the best way for the people versus what we had 30 years ago, 60 years ago. And then we, we think 30 years ahead. 60 years ahead you know every 12 years there's a billion people on on the planet it's 7.7 .7 billion right now so the world's getting congested it's getting smaller there's more and more people our population base is growing so it's really good 
you know, 120 years ago, we had the great flu. 60% of our population were gone overnight. So we went through a lot of different things, and now it's climate change. Wow. There's some good changes in, you know, like this healthy conversation we're having, is how do we move forward in the best way? The Alaska Federation, the natives, a collective voice of the Alaska native people. You know, you could love it. It's beautiful people here in Alaska. And Peter, go ahead. That is an excellent question. Um, basically because it is, it is going to have to start from the grassroots level, um, especially in our region, um, going uh, fighting against Don, the Donlin mine. It's, that's where it started because, like I mentioned earlier, Donlin came in as a large organization, as a large corporation, with a lot of funding back to back them to basically send their message that this is going to be something you know, positive for the region, all of the above. And it took people um, individually start, who started to ask the right questions, asking what was the other side of it. You know, we're hearing all the positives of what this mine is going to do for us. What's, gonna, what's it going to do to the environment? And so it started from grassroots level from the region, and it's progressively um, basically making its way up. But recently, during our um, ABCP uh, annual convention, the delegation pulled a 2006 resolution and uh, rescinded it and backed it with another resolution that uh, formally opposes it for the region. And so it basically started as a grassroots level. We got the information out to the tribes individually, and now the regional organization, as a, as a, as a um, the delegation, is now opposing it. And now the next step is going to be Jalista Corporation, because obviously they own the subsurface rights, and so they're going to be the ones that we're going to have to start um, getting the message out and we I think we've been pretty clear here in the last uh, few months of it few months of with the progress that we've been making as a as a region and um, we're hoping that um, they will kind of get on board because um, like I said earlier I mean Donald basically took the right approach initially to, to kind of flood our region with all, all the things that they were bringing but then it took people to ask the, the questions that like how this can impact us on, on the other on the other end so that that, that is a big, big big reason for it so and when something does happen um, say there's you know, there's always concerns about a spill or something impacting the water and the land. Um, how can it be returned and can it be returned to before development, Isa? <coughs> you know, one good example of that is, you know, up on the North Slope, you know, we have uh, the biggest oil companies drilling and extracting on our, you know, Inupiaq land, our ancestral land where our, uh, our ancestors hunt fish bartered trade uh, and lived you know you know times was tough back then but at least life was filling but now times are easier but it's not so filling you know like you know it's a lot easier to live longer here in our day and day and age but back then you know our people were speaking in Nupiak our people were living with the animals we, we were uh, one with nature and you know we still are but to the to to a point where we have all these uh, setbacks and all these problems and situations caused by settler colonialistic uh, people, ideals, uh, mythologies, and all this other stuff. But, <clears throat> you know, going back to it, uh, ASRC and, you know, the oil companies up there on the North Slope, Chronicle Phillips ain't going to clean it. BP is not going to clean it. You know, they're just going to extract what they want and leave. You know, they're not... They're not going to uh, do a damn thing to, to clean uh, what they've done. You know, one other good example is Project Chariot. You know, the United States government tried to make a port uh, by Point Hope, you know, back in the 60s. They planted bombs in the tundra, uh, you know, and they didn't clean it. They didn't, they didn't do it. And now the people and the animals are having cancer, you know, after that. 
uh, the caribou eat the, the the tundra, the people eat the caribou, and now the people there are, have high rates of cancer, and and you know it's just devastating and and depressing to um, to hear about a project like Project Chariot um, and see what devastation uh, uh, Western government can do. So I don't think that they will actually do anything to clean it up after. We're going to uh, take a short break here. In a second, we are talking about um, development in the environment at the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention. We're at the Carlson Center in Fairbanks, and we have three guests joining us today. And we are talking all sides. There's a lot of different views when it comes to environmental protection and development, jobs, economic <laughs> development, um, and keeping and traditional ways of life. And um, we have uh, much more for you coming up, so just uh, tune in, keep on uh, listening. We have three guests um, with various views as well, and um, you're listening to Alaska's Native Voice. We have to take a short break, but we will be right back. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice from the Carlson Center in Fairbanks. I'm Antonia Gonzalez, and today we're talking about development and the environment and just the different uh, discussions that take place here at the Alaska Federation of Natives when it comes to both development and environmental protection. And there's different conversations um, involving jobs and moving toward energy independence, boosting economies, and others fighting to protect the land and animals and their way of life. And I have three guests joining joining me here today. Um, I have Esau Sanuk. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Peter Vaughn. Thank you and uh, PJ Simon. Yes, and thank you for having me. Yes, thank you all for being here. And right before we took a break, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, uh, consultation and everybody trying to work together on both development and environmental protection. And uh, PJ, go ahead. Yes, we're talking about uh, spill contamination. And there's so much engineering that goes into resource extraction nowadays here in Alaska. Let's take the Trans-Alaska Pipeline that's been in service since, what, 1977? It crosses 534 tributaries, and we've had, we, you know, with good engineering and good uh, environmental protection fail-safes, there, there hasn't been a spill on all the 534 tributaries. So Alaska, we get 85% of our monetary funds from the oil industry. So it, it'll be good to divest, look into something else. You know, Alaska is a young state. So on the go forward, take direction from tribal members, from our shareholders, from 
the collective minds of Alaska Federation of Natives, you know, we've got to have fail-safes. We've got to have that balance, that healthy balance. I, I totally believe in that. And uh, Peter, any thoughts on if there is a spill or contamination on the land? Oh, I mean, I know that um, all these projects have a reclamation uh, plan, and, and like I said earlier, that word perpetuity is always what kind of gets us. Obviously, um, as PJ mentioned, um, a lot of advances in mining and all the above, but um, just uh, with climate change and with um, more natural disasters, I mean, earthquakes are happening much more prevalent, much more prevalent in our area. I think there was one recently, a few days ago. Um, and so, I mean, there, 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 there's too many questions that still have not been answered um, for this new changing world because we do live in a different world. Alaska is at, at the front line of climate change. Um, many villages are dealing with it on different levels, erosion, um, permafrost melting, all of the above. And there's just not enough, there's too many questions and not enough answers for those type of um, events that we're gonna have to face that we have not faced yet before. I understand that, um, advancements in mining and different things have come down the road, which I, I, I'm sure that have made it safer, but safer is not, is not good enough. And you know, basically, unless you give me a 100% guarantee, which I know they can't, then you know, even then it's going to have an impact. How can it not? Two, mile wide, two, mile wide, two miles wide, one mile deep, I mean, that's, that's going to have an impact. And no matter what kind of reclamation project you have, it's just not going to be good enough. And I want to talk a little bit about young people and young people on this conversation and young people um, on all sides of the conversation as well. Our producer, Emily Schwing, went out to a rally that was held outside of the Carlson Center yesterday where some young people who were at the Elders and Youth Conference put a resolution forward. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the participants of the 2019 First Alaskan Institute Elders and Youth Conference that we reinstate a climate action leadership task force within Elders and Youth and the Alaska Federation of Natives to advance indigenous voices and advocate for strong climate policies that will ensure the survival of our future generations and now therefore be it finally resolved that this re resolution once accepted by the participants be transmitted to the Alaska Federation of Natives for approval to declare a state of emergency on climate change. And that, that was um, some voice, the voices from a demonstration held outside the Carlson Center yesterday. Some young people who attended the Elders and Youth Conference, which is held prior to the AFN, held a or talked about their climate change resolution. Um, Esau, your thoughts on the young people getting involved in the movement you're involved in? You know, <clears throat> knowing the two people who helped wrote the resolution, you know, just seeing the power, the, the strength that our indigenous sisters have, you know, I think that uh, once we give and uplift and defend and protect our indigenous sisters, you know, I was raised by five mothers, you know, five beautiful Nupiak strong mothers. And, you know, once we help our sisters out, you know, that's when really true change will happen because I know how strong, how how resilient, how kind, how how loving our sisters are in this movement because, you know, that's where all the work happens, that's where all the, the, the power and the strength comes from is our indigenous sisters. And I see it growing up for 18 years living in Shishmaraf, you know, we talked about climate change and relocation and erosion and all this, but, you know, that's the work I'm doing, but also uplifting and supporting our indigenous sisters is what I uh, would really love to work with because, you know, our sisters does 
all the work. That's where the real work comes from is our indigenous sisters. So, you know, uh, having young people in this movement is, uh, is a great feeling because, you know, as young people, we are uh, the future leaders. We are the leaders of today that will take up these positions. What, you know, uh, these old white uh, men are having, you know, in these positions, not just on a political governmental level, but also, you know, school boards, assemblies, um, all these different forms of leadership, um, and also in our communities, you know. So um, as young people, I think, that, uh, and as a young person, I think that seeing these other young people in the movement is really empowering and really uplifting and inspiring to me. And you had uh, talked about women and mentioned women. Um, our producer, Emily Schwing, talked with uh, Bob Sam, who's from the Sitka tribe of Alaska, and he had mentioned a little bit about the issue between missing and murdered indigenous people and um, development. Tribal leaders need to step up, and men need to step up and support the women. We just lost too many of them. So you're here for the murdered and missing indigenous women in your community? And defending and defending the sacred. Defending the sacred, yeah. Um, do you think that um, those two issues, you know, environment, protecting women, do they do they go together? Oh, yes. How yes. so? The, they say Mother Nature and all that. There's reasons behind it. The, the, all human beings, they come from their, their mother's womb. And, and nature is like our womb. So, so... We, we need to empower them okay. and the men need to stand with them. Do you believe that conservation and, and you know, development can coexist? I believe, it, I believe that it can be done in a way that we can self-sustain ourselves. Alaska's resource rich and, and we we can handle being on our own. Also, I think human beings have been part of nature from the beginning. It's, it's not a wild place untouched by human beings. We have our footprint here, and we need to learn how to fit into our shoes again. And that was Bob Sam from the Sitka Tribe of Alaska who was um, taking part in a rally outside of the Carlson Center. Um, Peter, your thoughts on what uh, Bob had to say? Well, many good points, obviously. Um, just to kind of touch on what Esau said earlier, I mean, obviously, involvement in the youth movement is critically important because that's where it starts. I'm 36, so I certainly don't consider myself young, but um, it's great to see people at Esau and people in our region who are pushing for those things. And to, to your point, of, to your question, yeah, I, I totally agree that um, basically those two issues coming hand in hand is going to be important. Obviously, public safety has been a huge, um, ish, a huge uh, uh, talking point here during this AFN convention, and, and it should be because it is the number one um, issue, especially in our ABCP region, uh, as has been stated by our delegates. And you know, obviously, the, the light's been uh, light's been shown on it, and we had Attorney General Barr obviously calling in and and. Um, and basically guarantee more funding toward that toward that purpose. And so um, the biggest thing would be to um, not just to Bethel or you know large areas, Anchorage, the villages obviously are, are going to be where we need to have people where they feel safe and comfortable. Because if they're not in those villages, they're not going to be able to um, 
see what's, what is happening and be able to um, address those issues. Because that's like we said earlier, it's a grassroots movement most of the time. And so to have the people um, that are educated, that, are, that, are, that know the issues and actually be within those uh, communities is going to be highly important. And um, I think housing should be, another, should be the next basic thing that we should be looking at because that is obviously a huge issue. I know AHFC, which is our, our regional um, um, housing area, um, identified 3,000, um, a need for 3,000 homes today for our, for our region. And so I think if we have proper housing and along with public safety, um, we will be able to keep that, those type of people, the younger generation in, in the villages to help fight for the things that are important. PJ? Yes, I think uh, protecting, protecting our Alaska Native ways are right. I'm a hunter. I hunt. I follow the subsistence calendar. I trap in the winter. One of the few guys that still trap go out there and scratch out a living because I love to be out there. My father was a trapper. My grandfather was a trapper. My great-grandfather. All the Alaska, interior Alaskans were trapping. From deadfall, they moved to steel traps to, you know, we wear these beautiful furs. You look at all the regalia around here. That was harvested, you know, by our Alaska Native people. We have our identity. We have our strong identity. And it's like these young gentlemen here. I'm 48 years old. You know, I'm not getting any younger. But it's taking the collective, collective minds of everybody. You know, education, will ed being educated on stuff will dispel fear. But being educated, raising our level of education, that's the greatest thing we can do. You take, as a young state, and I'll say it again, take a person like Condoleezza Rice. She was from the Deep South. She was Secretary of State. She was a National Security Advisor for the United States of America, coming from a poor African-American neighborhood in Deep South Alabama. And here we are as Alaska Native people growing. You know, we're listening. How, couldn't, how can we become better people? How can, we lead the, the, the state in incarceration, 60%. Of our, of my brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters are incarcerated. How do we get away from that? How do we steer our people in the right way to make, our, make it better for our kids, our children, you know, my children? How do I do that, you know? Our, our murdered and indigenous woman, let's not let that happen again. We're trying our hardest. You, you hear the, the movement, defend the sacred, the murdered indigenous movement at a national level, at a state level, at a local level. It's like Esau is talking about, grassroots. That's how we make a difference. That's how we all work together. And uh, talking a little bit about all working together, consultation is a big part of the way of life among all tribes, not just here in Alaska, but uh, definitely among lower 48 tribes as well. And um, there are people who come to AFN from city, you know, local, state, and the federal level to consult with tribes and hear the voices. Um, and there's other meetings that go on. Um, this week, the National Congress of American Indians held a meeting with tribal leaders, and they do that right before AFN. And we had a chance to talk to um, Tara Sweeney, who is Alaska Native, and she is the highest ranking member in the Trump administration, who is Native American. And we asked her about the environment and um, development and the Trump administration being that is very pro-development. Let's hear what she had to say. It's about education and it's about doing the outreach throughout the administration to uh, share those experiences with my colleagues. It's and and it's important to understand that a one-size-fits-all approach to Indian country and Alaska Native villages is not going to be effective. And that was uh, Tara Sweeney, who is the 
U.S. Uh, Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs um, at the Department of the Interior, who is from Alaska. Um, Peter, uh, just what um, your thoughts on what Tara had to say? Yeah, no, I totally agree with what she's saying. We recently had Tara in Bethel um, a few months ago um, to basically hold a panel with the tribes, and we were very appreciative. And I, I know that's uh, just basically another step to take. Um, to shine light on the issues that are happening within our region. And um, and she's totally right. It has to be multifaceted. It, it can't be um, one group. It can't be one um, one issue that we are, we are tackling. We have to basically obviously multitask and try to, to kind of tie these things together to get to the, the, to the goal that we need to have. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, public safety, obviously, number one. Housing will be right behind it. And obviously, resource development, all these issues um, need to be need to be uh, expressed. And, and, um, and like she said, through her administration, through education, through outreach. And I'm very, very appreciative and proud of her for what she's doing uh, in that position and role because she, she's doing a great job so far. So we definitely support her and hopefully she'll, she will continue to do those kind of things. Let's hear uh, what else she had to say and then I'll come back to you. When you look at how development has taken place in Alaska uh, and using the models that have worked with Native communities here and transferring that to the lower 48 and making those experiences available uh, is, is extremely valuable. And that again was uh, Tara Sweeney, Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs. Uh, go ahead, PJ. Yes, I think it's important to, for advocacy, you know, tribal corporate but in the end at, at the end of the day Antonia I walk away as an Alaska native that's what I walk away from as an Alaska native you look at Tara Sweeney assistant secretary she's from the uh, Department of Interior Alaska natives we get our money from the BIA BIA shares IHS shares we go to DC our money gets divvied up by between 578 tribes 232 here in Alaska so advocacy is important. Tribally driven advocacy is important. And on the go forward, what she's talking about is not one approach is, works. It's, it's multifaceted. Like uh, at the corporate level, you have different subsidiaries of business, different ways of trying to make money to, to make it better for your men and women, for your kids, your children. You know, like I said earlier, you look backwards, you look forward, and you take everything in between the collective voice, the reasoning, the history. How do we make it better on the go forward? That's what I look at. I want Alaska Native people to be the healthiest people in Alaska. And Esau, do you see the importance of these federal officials seeing the issues in communities firsthand? Um, you had a, a U.S. Uh, Attorney General William Barr who came to Alaska to see some of these issues, the, the violence firsthand in the communities. Your thoughts? You know, bring it back to the issue of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. You know, when our first sister was missing and murdered back in 1492 when Christopher Columbus and Spain and the Papa Bowl and all this, you know, doctrine of Christian discovery was happening, you know, when settler colonialism was starting, uh, you know, when our first sister was missing and murdered, you know, that was one sister too many, you know, our, our movement and our, uh, the way we do things is our elders tell us to do it in a good way. And, you know, with federal officials like William Barr, coming to Alaska, talking to Gail Schubert, president of Bering Straits Native Corporation, uh, and uh, her expressing her views and her issues that she talks about. Um, you know, it's important to have federal officials talk to Alaska Natives, but 
you know it's also important to let them talk to people in the grassroots in the in the communities that are actually facing the the poverty the missing and murdered the 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 struggles that we live with in Shishmaraf, you know, we still don't have running water. We don't have a flush toilet. We don't have, I don't even know what you call it, to wash your hands, you know. Um, We don't have running water, so we still have to dump the honey bucket. And, you know, we tried to tell our federal officials that for how many years, but we still don't have running water. But also, more important is on missing and murdered indigenous women and girls because you know I was raised by five mothers my two grandmothers my two mothers and uh, my great grandmother and you know I couldn't think about about the idea that you know what would I do uh, if they went missing and murdered you know so it's very important to talk about these issues but also in a good way in a in a space where it feels good to talk about it you know feel where it's safe protected and also um, in a good way and having federal officials come to Alaska Federations of Native you know we had Lisa Murkowski here we had uh, Governor Dunleavy here um, we did the movement we did the action uh, when he did speak um, you know so it's very important to have uh, the, the federal the governmental the state the local community officials here at, at the talks Do you feel like the grassroots voice is left out of these conversations or that they're not at the table? You know, it's um, it's important to have all aspects, you know, um, of different viewpoints. You know, I work with a lot of people who who have a whole different viewpoint than what I have. You know, in this movement, we just face with people who, who, who don't agree with us, but we love them, we, we show them kindness, we, we, we take them in and we feed them, we, 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 we do what we can to work with them to the best of our abilities. And, you know, um, but what we've been doing in the grassroots level is, you know, is in the local level, you know, we don't have really the funding to really come to like our United Nations Forum uh, on, the, on climate change. Uh, we don't have really the funding to go to conference of the parties. Um, but, you know, with this year, this is the first year that there's a whole indigenous caucus of young people uh, going to conference of the parties. And, you know, having a fellow uh, uh, person in the movement who's going is really important. That's also brings back to representation matters. You know, we have Molly of Denali. You know, it's pretty cool. I. I I'm 21. I watch Molly of Denali because, you know, it's really cool to see Alaska Native values, words. It's, it, I lost my mind when I saw Muktuk on, on TV, <laughs> man. It was pretty cool. So, you know, representation matters, indigenous voices matters from all aspects and also uh, from the grassroots communities. It also uh, matters. So uh, that's my take on the question. And sometimes I hear from tribal leaders that, um, you know, that that grassroots movements are important, but sometimes like a disruption in in some way um, that people may not see what's behind the scenes. Like tribal leaders have been working on some issue for a long time and they have they're having these discussions and these meetings that maybe people in the public can't see. Um, And we've been talking about like opening up the conversation and just being very clear about um, consultation and working together on all sides. Uh, uh, PJ, just your thoughts on that. I think uh, 
consultation is important. You know, how do you advocate? How do you make, make changes? Well, to make changes in policy through your elected leaders. I come from the Alakakit tribe. Each village, each tribe have elected leaders, the tribal base elector leaders to go forth and push their agenda, their concerns. The tribe comes here to a regional Tanana Chiefs Conference. They have a collective voice. They push it up to the AFN level. The same thing with the corporations. They do the exact same thing. And everything is data-driven, Antonia. You know, you look at Alaska Native population, uh, the population of Alaska Natives, American Indians in the United States. We're less than half of 1% of a population of 340 million people. You have many cultures, although we're the original people, yet our numbers are so low, our percentage is so low, but yet you look at Alaska Native. Like Ethan was saying, we don't have running water. I'm a plumber. You know, let's make it happen. But also... You look at how money works. The gross state product in 2015 was $56 billion. In 2015, the, the nonprofits, the for-profits, the village corps, they were $13 billion, 23% of the state economy. You know, what I'd like to see as Alaska Native is uh, an Alaska Native on the State Board of Education, more, uh, Permanent Fund Corporation Board, Ada Board. Let's get involved. Let's make, take the collective voice if we're given duties in the state of Alaska, because state chartered corporations, you know, state chartered entities, that's what we live in a democracy, United States of America. You know, we've got 340 million people. We've all got to play by a set of rules. You know, I, you know, it, it's done, done me good, done my family good. You know, I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be an Alaska native. I'm, I always tell the young people, there's no better time in Alaska native history to be Alaska native than right now. You go backwards, 40, 50 years, 20 years. We didn't have a lot of what we, we, don't, we have now. Through advocacy, tribally driven, corporations driven, intelligence, you know, knowledge will dispel fear in a lot of different ways. So we all have this healthy conversation. We walk away looking, looking for the health of the people on the go forward. And um, Peter, what do you hope for the future? Um, obviously, just to kind of get more progress. Um, <clears throat> I kind of want to touch on your question earlier about um, having actual officials in the villages. Mm -hmm. It's about getting boots on the ground. I mean, that's basically when we actually had some progress happen. <clears throat> and what was whenever they actually came to the village. Attorney General Barr walked through Napakiak, I believe, um, went, went and saw the facilities, um, Murkowski as well. And then, um, <clears throat> and then during that uh, last convention, or during that um, public safety panel that they had, we literally had federal officials um, speaking and basically had tears in their eyes because they actually were able to see firsthand what was happening. And so, um, <coughs> excuse me, and so th those are highly important issues. So. And uh, Isa, what do you hope for the future when it comes to um, development and environmental protection? You know, as a young person being in this movement, doing this work for the past four years, you know, in a movement that's been uh, in the works and been doing work for decades now, um, you know, the young people back then are our elders now, you know, they're, you know, thinking about, you know, uh, you know, as indigenous people, we think about the next seven generations, we think about the next 10,000 years, you know, um, and as a young person, what I think of the future is that, you know, having our young people today being in these positions of, of you know, the school of education, the, the, the public health, the public 
health sector, you know, the public safety, you know, not just governmental, but also these very important uh, departments, you know, VPSO, state troopers, um, you know, education, uh, public health, you know, having all these different factors of, of safety and also education and, and local level uh, uh, positions. Um, I think that, you know, as young people, as a young person, I truly think that when true change that we want to see, because we have, we had over 4 million people at the climate strikes all around the world. And that was uh, a movement started with just one person. So, you know, what, what I think is with the, with the future is that I truly think that when we do work together as a collective movement, but also as a movement of young people, I think that's when we see true change happen in our communities, in our states, in our, and, and the nations that we live in, in, in on Turtle Island. And um, PJ, final thought as we uh, wrap, prepare to wrap up our conversation on this issue today. Yes, I think uh, on the go forward, it's, it's a great thing happening right now. You know, resource extraction, anti-development, development, pro-development, it doesn't matter to me. You know, on the go forward, like I said, Personally, I want healthy Alaska Native people. I want our people to be educated, strong, stand on their own two feet, keep the ball rolling, keep each other in check. That's the best thing we can do. And AFN, Alaska Federation of Natives, is a great venue to hear the collective voices from the, the smallest tribe to the largest tribe to elders to youth you know we look we look at the kids we listen to the elders we look at the children and go forward let's make the best decision for alaska for alaska natives and you know we live in a whole world that the changing china russia you know 7.7 billion people on the planet how do we make the best decisions for our people like uh my area has got 20,000 Athabascans. You know, how do we go make the best decisions for, for, for the children, for our people? You know, running water. Uh, water loss diseases is a common malady for our people. Uh, education, become better educated, working together. You know, that's what Alaska Native values are, to me anyway. Well, I want to thank you all for being here today, and we'll... Here, this conversation continued through um, Saturday at the Alaska Federation of Natives annual convention. I want to thank my guests, Esau Sanook, Peter Yvonne, and PJ Simon, and also producer Emily Schwing and board operator Lauren Dixon. You've been listening to Alaska's Native Voice. Have a great day. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. AFN, Alaska's Native Voice, produced and directed by Antonia Gonzalez and Emily Schwing. Major support provided by Arctic Slope Regional Corporation, Rasmussen Foundation, ConocoPhillips, the Siri Foundation, ExxonMobil Alaska, South Central Foundation, Manilak Association, Chalista Corporation, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Cook Inlet Lending Center, and Foundation Health Partners. This is a production of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.